0: somebody say disruption disruption still a little 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 participation what, what is what is something that has been introduced into your life at some point that was a good thing it was it was a positive thing it was a welcomed thing but it was disruptive it was disruptive jamal Video games on the phone. Disruptive. <laughs> All right, I like it. I like it. Video games on the phone. Yes. Who is your? My son?: Yes. Children are disruptive. Good, but disruptive. Somebody else. Something's been introduced into your life, friendly. Come on. He got to clean his room today. You did a significant amount. Did you spend a significant amount of time doing it because there was a significant amount of time since the last time you did it? Maybe. Fair, 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 fair. No, that's good, right? Shores. Responsibilities. They're, they're a good thing, but they can feel disruptive. Somebody else. Eve? Say it again. Yeah, credit cards can be a good thing. It can be disruptive. Yeah, that's good. You guys are doing good. Somebody else. Anything back here? Anything back here? Social media. Come on. It's real. What's what's the one that no one has said yet? That's good, but disruptive in your life. Light bulbs? Okay, you're saying that because you saw it on the screen. Come on. No, that's not really one, though. It is fair. It's scary, isn't it? They make a lot of noise. What's, what's, the, what's the other big one? Not sure. Who, the M word? Marriage. Yeah, that could, yeah, yeah. All the husbands were like, I'm not saying that out loud. Fred, you've been teaching us our whole lives. It's a point space system. Why would I say marriage? Oh, you're right. You guys did good. You guys do good. Yeah, marriage is one. It's good, but it's disruptive. I have found that people are ill prepared for how disruptive Jesus is in our lives. He, I think, it catches people off guard. I don't think people are ready for it. I don't think this this idea of who Jesus is that people are. Are, are expecting it, and I think sometimes they don't think it's Jesus at work in their life because they're not used to that feeling and emotion being connected to him. I, I think this is the, the idea that we like of Jesus right here, the picture that's going to come up. That he is a kind and gentle grandmother that's always there to soothe our inner child. Come on, right? Like, that's the Jesus I fell in love with when I was eating goldfish in the nursery, and they were... Telling me Bible stories. But this is the picture that I think represents the work of Jesus in our lives more often than not. Yeah. I think Jesus has shown up in our lives a lot of times with goggles, a hard hat, and a sledgehammer. He, he, is a, he comes in and he says, yep, we're going to have to take this wall out right here. Yeah. He, he comes in and he says, oh, yep. All all of this has got to go. All of this has got to go. Sometimes he's he's showing up and he's moving a lot of things into our lives that maybe we didn't think we had room for. There's a side to Jesus that dismantles, that dismantles. And, And if we're not careful, that we will we we will resist resist the work that we desperately need him to do i have found that people are ill prepared for how disruptive jesus is in our lives mark 10 17 to 27 mark 10 17 to 27 tells us a story about a man the rich young ruler who was ill prepared who was ill-prepared for the disruption that Jesus was about ready to bring. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to Jesus, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. Now let's just pause there. What, what Jesus is saying here is, you can call me good because I am God, but I want to make sure that you know who you're talking to. But to answer your question, you know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, you must honor your father and mother. Now, those might look familiar, and if they do to you, they are, because they're the last six of the Ten Commandments. Teacher, the man, replied, he's happy, I've done all that, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. You can feel it, right? There's this there's this hopeful expectation in his heart. I'm doing good. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him as he does for us all. There is still one thing that you have not done. Right? You 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 maybe you get the sense now that this young man he's beginning, he's bracing himself for what's to come. He said, "I want you to go and sell all your possessions." And I want you to give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then you can come and follow me. At this, the text says, the man's face fell. Why did it fall? Because before it was, I got it. And now it's, I can't have it. For he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now this amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom, the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle more than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded, and they said, Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. It is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with him. Now, we, we could do a whole sermon series just on this one story. But, but the part I want to use here to set up what we're going to be talking about tonight, this idea of Jesus as a disruptor, as Jesus as a dismantler, is, is this is a great story that reminds us of what happens with Jesus in our lives. You 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 make a decision to become a Christian. You make a vow of devotion to Christ. You, you 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 make a decision to maybe maybe you've made a vow of devotion to him, but now you're like, you know, I, I really want to begin to live my life in obedience to Christ. I want to live a life of full devotion to him. And you're like the rich Young ruler. There's this, there's this idea of I'm doing so many things well, but then all of a sudden Jesus begins to ask some things of you that you feel that are impossible. You feel that tension. Jesus here, I think, is trying to teach us something very important about salvation in this story. Jesus here is saying to the world, I am about to dismantle and disrupt everything that this world believes about how people are saved. I'm about ready to undo, take apart, break down every belief that people have had for how they come into a relationship with God. And the way in which the rich young ruler approaches Jesus in the beginning speaks volumes. It starts with what must I do? All of the Mosaic law, all of Judaism is based on what we would do in order to be in relationship with God. Now, that was part of God's plan. But Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that that was all put in place just to hold the sinfulness of humanity at bay, to just kind of put a ceiling on it until true salvation could come. And now true salvation is here in Jesus. And he's about ready to pivot something because it's no longer going to be about what can I do. It's going to be about what has he done. So, so Jesus, it seems as though maybe he's being a little bit cruel, but I'm telling you he gave this man a great gift. Even though he walked away, even though he said he couldn't do it, Jesus connected him to the feeling of impossibility that we should all have when we're considering whether or not we can save ourselves. He comes to Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus says, how about I'm just going to fast forward you right to the end of this dead-end street. The dead-end street of what must I do is always going to be I can't. I think Jesus gives him an impossible task. Jesus knows he's not going to do it because Jesus wants him to feel impossibility when it comes to self-salvation. The question is not what can I do? The question is, what has Jesus done? The most important statement you're ever going to be able to say in this life, we're saying it as often as we can, as every Saturday, as we can work it in, I'm at one with God, rescued from myself, just as, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. That's my definition of the gospel. I'm at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. I am so glad that Jesus disrupted everything that the world knew about salvation to bring us the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this idea of salvation not being about us, we're used to that. If you've been around church for any amount of time, this idea of it's not about what I can do, it's about what Jesus has done, we're used to that. We're we're accustomed to that. that. That's not dismantling or disruptive to us per se anymore. In fact, so much of what we read about Jesus in the scriptures, we've we've come to embrace. And so those things aren't disruptive, which I believe is part of what exacerbates this problem of, of that when he does show up to disrupt, it confuses us. Jesus is going to be a disruptor and a dismantler in our lives for the rest of our days, and we need him to do it. Listen to this statement. The idea of a weekly Sabbath is a disruption bomb that needs to set off in your life. The idea of a weekly Sabbath, it is as though Jesus takes a grenade, pulls the pin, boom, throws it right into your life. boom. The idea of a weekly Sabbath is a disruption bomb that needs to explode in your life. The idea, I think one of the reasons why people who maybe have experimented with a weekly Sabbath before and now don't anymore is because it was so disruptive. It, it, it made them feel so discombobulated. The idea of restructuring the entire rhythm of their life was so uncomfortable, they came to the conclusion there's no way this can be of God because it shouldn't feel like this. Because your view of the work of Jesus in your life is the elderly, kind grandmother always soothing your inner child when he's really somebody that looks like they just came out of the gym drinking way too much pre-workout with a hard hat, a sledgehammer, and goggles. The pace and the rhythm that so many of us have settled into in this life must change for us if we're going to experience the rest that Jesus promises. He's a disruptor. He is a dismantler. Don't turn him away when you experience that part of who he is. There are four kinds of rest. We're not going to teach all of them. I just want to make reference to them. They, I teach this out of Hebrews chapter 4. I call it all the rest. There is what I like to refer to as paternal rest. Hebrews 4 talks about a paternal rest. Paternal rest is a rest that comes from knowing God as your Father. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ and you are born into the family of God, that that core feeling that all of us have, every human being on this earth, their greatest need is to know God and to be known by Him. That's our greatest need. That's our core desire, to know God and to be known by Him. And so when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, you experience a restfulness of your soul because the most important relationship that you've been seeking has been reconciled. There is a purpose rest. Hebrews 4 talks about a purpose rest. There is a restfulness that comes to you when you're walking in your purpose. I think one of the primary ways that you understand your purpose, you gain clarity for your purpose is through your two or three most important life roles. My two or three most important life roles are husband, father, pastor. Those are my three most important life roles. Do I have other life roles? Yes. Do you have other life roles than just two or three? Yes. But I believe that your your purpose, why God created us, what what he put us on this earth to do, you're going to gain some clarity when you begin to look at your two or three most important life roles, your purpose rest. Can you be physically tired from pursuing Purpose rest, yes. But there is a peace on in here that is indescribable. Even if you're tired when you lay down to go to sleep at night because you've been chasing hard after your purpose rest, there is a restfulness that you feel on the inside because you're walking in your assignment. Purpose rest. There is perpetual rest. Number three, perpetual rest perpetual rest is a restfulness that comes to your soul from the answer to the question of what's going to happen to you after you die being settled. People who don't know what's going to happen to them after they die, there is an unsettleness to who they are. There's an unsettleness to their soul. There is a restfulness that comes to you and to me when, when when we believe the promises of God and we trust that after we leave this world, eternity is waiting for us. Where Jesus said in John chapter 4, go to prepare a place for you. Perpetual rest. Then the fourth one is this: a physical rest. The physical, biological rest that these bodies are desperate to have. Isaiah 58, 13 to 14 says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, which does not mean don't do things that you enjoy. It means that don't just pursue things that are important to you, but pursue things that are important to God. Primarily rest. But enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. What does that mean? It means that don't just see the Sabbath day as just any other day because it's not. It's sacred. And don't just pursue your own interests Again, means that are you making room for practices on the Sabbath that God would have you make room for, especially practices that are distinct from other days then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken, which is a fancy way of God saying, do what I say. Come on. I took a reference call this week for a friend who's a pastor. I was talking to the Chairperson on the search committee at this church, and they started working through a, l- a list of questions. And I want you to imagine for a moment if I had answered any of these, now these weren't the questions, but I want you to, to imagine, I want you to pretend with me, use your imagination that they were. And, and I want you to ask yourself the question what would the search committee do if at any point in this reference call that I had answered in the affirmative for any of these nine. The first one, this. Does your, does your friend worship other gods or actively participate in other religions? What if I said, oh yeah, yeah, he's all about that. Yeah. They would have said, okay, thanks thanks for your call, Pastor Show. It was good talking with you. Right? It would have been over. It would have been done. What, what if what if the next question was they made, other, they made idols in their garage or their man cave, prayed to them, sold them on Facebook Marketplace, worshiped them often? But what if that had been one of the questions? It's like, oh yeah, you should see some of the work. He, he's incredible. He's made a ton of money off of selling idols, it's remarkable. Number three, speaks with profanity, especially using God and Jesus' curse words. Yeah. Number four, speaks disrespectfully of their parents and speaks of them publicly in derogatory ways. Number five, openly endorses murder out of vengeance and anger as being appropriate. Number six, practices an open marriage relationship with their spouse. Number seven, Dishonesty for personal gain is a natural part of life. Number eight, giving false testimony is okay because most people are guilty of something anyways. Number nine, envying your neighbor's possessions is a great way to motivate yourself to get more stuff. What if any of those had been a question for my friend for their reference check, and if I had said yes to any one of them, they're not hiring him for that job. Where did those nine come from? Yeah. How many did I read? What if one of the questions they had asked was, do you know if he practices a weekly Sabbath? What if I had said, I don't think he does, would would they still extend an invitation? Are you tracking with me? How is it that as devoted followers of Christ, we can have such a strong emotional response to the nine? Almost to the point where it's comical, right? The, you, you right? The laughing that we did when we we're reading that nine, we we're like, this is, it's, it's almost satirical. Of course, those things are. How is it that this final one has somehow drifted over to this place of not mattering? Why, why do we say that we're people of the Ten Commandments when we're really not? We're people of the nine. It is, has culture done something to us that has pulled us away from something that is sacred to God? And do we need Jesus the construction worker to show up in our lives and begin to dismantle the cultural norms? that has subtracted a big one from the Big Ten. Listen to Exodus 28 through 11. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to to the Lord your God, and on that day no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, it includes your sons and daughters, male and female servants, your livestock. Come on, right? You're, the Sabbath is even applies to beasts of burden. Any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. And that is why... The Lord blessed the Sabbath. He blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. All the other days, God said it was good, but it's only on the seventh day did he bless it. Let me give you some definitions of a few words here to to help you appreciate this text. Sabbath is the Hebrew word Shabbat. It means to repose. That is to desist from exertion. It means to cease. It means to celebrate. It means to leave. It means to put away or to put down or to make to rest. It means to get rid of. It means to be still. It means to take away. Meaning that a true Shabbat, a true Sabbath, that that day should look dramatically different than all your other days kadash, which is the word for holy in this text. It means to be clean. It means to appoint or bid. It means to consecrate. It means to dedicate. It means hallowed. It means holy. It means to prepare, proclaim, to purify, to sanctify. It means sacred, right? There is a word here, in the Hebrew language, that is applied to the Sabbath day that we cannot ignore, we cannot get around it. It is not an ordinary day. From God's perspective, in his heart and in his mind, there is something beautiful and lovely and different about this one day. This is one of my my, my favorite words here, nuach. It means to rest. It means to be at rest, like I was doing when I was watching the Black Panther. It means to settle down. It means to stay. It means to dwell. Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. Those words just taste so good, don't they? Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. When is the last time you felt comfortable, convenient, And easygoing. When when was the last time those three words spoke to the disposition of your physical body? When's the last time that those three words, comfortable, convenient, and easygoing, spoke to the disposition of your physical body that carried it deep into your emotional well being? Exodus 20 Remember to observe the Shabbat. Remember to observe this day, right, that is where you were to cease from exertion, that you're to celebrate, you're to leave, you're to put away, by keeping it kadash, by keeping it clean and, and, and pure and sanctified. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat, a day of nuach, to be comfortable, convenient, and easygoing, dedicated to the Lord your God. Let's jump down to Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything then. But on the seventh day, he knew what. He was comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. And that is why the Lord blessed the Shabbat day and set it apart as kadash. Sacred. Holy. I believe one of the great responsibilities that we have as devoted followers of Christ is to bring the culture of the kingdom of heaven to this earth. and That means a lot of things, but one of them, I think, means that we're supposed to be demonstrating what godly life looks like. And part of what godly life looks like isn't just the nine, it's all ten. It's all ten. There, there is a witness that you and I have by practicing a weekly Sabbath. Carl Barth, one of our great modern-day theologians, says this, let things take their course with particular freedom distinct from weekday practice to as much or as little as the day brings. The day should be free from compulsion. Come on, when is the last day? The last time you had a day that was free from compulsion. Luke 6, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but again, all these notes are always online, but Luke 6, 1-11 through 11 is a great exchange that Jesus has with the religious leaders of his day, and where he's reminding them the Sabbath is not about rules, it's about rest, and if all the rules you build take away your rest, then you've undone what God created. Mark 2, 27, Ephesians 2, 8, when you look at those together, Mark 2, 27, this is where people say that the idea of a Sabbath is optional because because Jesus says the Sabbath is a gift that God gives. Well, just because it's a gift doesn't mean that it's optional. Salvation is a gift, but there's a consequence when we reject it. You with me? Every gift that God gives to us does not mean that we have permission to say no. It just means he doesn't force it upon us. Let, let Let me walk you through. Vanessa and I set this disruption bomb off in our lives probably some 20 years ago, and it's been incredible. And if you're not practicing a weekly Sabbath, I hope you begin to take some steps to move towards it. This was an article that I read years ago. I don't even remember who the author is anymore. But these eight steps are fantastic. Eight practical steps. If you do not practice a weekly Sabbath, these are some steps that you can take to get there. The first one is this, is you got to pray. You, you were talking about disrupting and dismantling with Jesus the entire rhythm and routine of your life. And if you are married and you have children, you are dismantling and disrupting the entire routine of everyone's lives. Right? So the you got to start with prayer. You, you've got to start in this place of saying, God, I want everything that you have for me. If, if, if you created it, I want it. If you've called me to it, I want to embrace it. Right? There's got to be a conversation that you begin to have with your Father in Heaven, with your Creator, about this journey that you're about ready to take. Asking Him for help, asking Him for strength, asking Him for wisdom it will be one of the biggest undertakings you will ever do. I'm not exaggerating. You are are about ready, we're going to get to this in a minute, to turn off the dopamine spout of your brain that comes from activity that so many people are addicted to. You, 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 You are about ready to enter into a place of a rhythm of life that goes completely against everything that American culture teaches you. Which is how, in one way, you know it's got to be right. Number two, invest. If you're living off of a budget, which I trust that you are, because you believe in stewardship, now's the time of year where I hope you're beginning to work towards your budget for 2023. You should create a new line item that's called rest. There should be, you know, it has to be a lot of money. You might say, well, Fred, I don't have any extra money. That's okay. You can just, it could, you, you can find creative ways. Just, just set aside a little bit of extra money to go and do things, activities that you can do as a family. See, rest is not about being sedentary. It's about resting. And sometimes rest comes through activities. It's just activities that you're not doing on the rest of your other days. You, you, you can find things that your family enjoys doing together. It might just be going to Newport News Park and going for a walk. You might say, well, that doesn't cost you anything. I know it doesn't, but then you've got to get ice cream on the way home. Come on. Invest. If you get serious about rest... As your disposable income grows in life, you will begin to invest in things, buy things as a family that establishes a culture of rest. we got some campers in this church, come on, who have campers. Why is it? Because they're into rest. They have found an activity that they love to do as a family that takes them out of the ordinary routine of their life, Jordan and Amy Kimball, (coughs) Right? Because they've discovered something for them as a family. It's one of the ways that they rest, and so they invest in it. Right? So there's little ways that you can invest, but if you give yourself to this pattern, this routine, what you're going to find over the next five and ten years, that, that you will have invested substantially in rest, and I would say you should. I would say you should. Protect. If you make a decision to go down this road, it is going to feel like all of hell has been unleashed against you. Right? You have got to make a decision as you begin to go down this road, I am not going to negotiate this time. You've got to draw a boundary. You, you, you've got to put a line in the sand. Are, are there exceptions? Sure. If my neighbor comes knocking on my door because a tree just fell on their house, I'm not going to say, can you come back tomorrow tomorrow I'm on my Sabbath. If, if your teenager calls you because their car's broken down on the side of the road, you're not going to say, "Who else do I know who's not sabbathing that can go help my child?" Hopefully, it's Alan Smith because he knows everything about cars. Are you with me? You're you're there. There's there's wisdom you have to exercise. You we're not talking about legalism, but I'm saying you you got to put a hard boundary. You've got to find a time where you can say, we, we are not going to get pulled back in to the work of life. You might have to set some boundaries with your work. You might have to set some boundaries with friends. You might have to set some boundaries with family. You've got to guard the time that you're setting aside as sacred. Number four, be flexible. It does not have to happen on a certain day. It doesn't. You can even go to church on a Saturday. Stop it. Impossible. The church early met in the first century on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. You can honor Jesus' resurrection in lots of ways. We honor it by sleeping in on Sunday. We honor it with rest. You, 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 This idea of you might say, well, Fred, to 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 the Mosaic Law, Saturday was a Sabbath. It it, it was, but but that is a day that is uniquely tied to a cultural practice. So it was a, tied to a, a a national norm. But I think part of the new covenant, we we are released from the cultural norms, but we keep the principles. And why do I say that? Because none of the other of the commandments were set aside when we pull away from the ethnic cultural norms of Israel. I think that's one of the reasons why God made it part of the Big Ten. I think he put it in there because he wanted us to know, this one is like the other nine. So you can be flexible about when. Your schedule might be such that your Sabbath can't be the same day every week. It might have to move around based on the kind of work that you do, based on the life that you have. If you've got two working parents in the home, it might take some time. Your Sabbath might have to start midday one day and go to midday the next day. This is my encouragement to people. If you're serious about practicing a Sabbath, it's okay to start with small pieces. My encouragement to people is start with half of a day. Just start with half of a day. Just dip your toe into the water. Just start with half of a day. Is that a true Sabbath? It's not, but you're gearing yourself up for the change in the kind of routine that's supposed to come. I do the same thing. We're going to, in this little mini-series about disruption, we're going to talk a little bit about giving. Talk about giving just a few times a year here at City Life Church. It's the same thing. What God expects of us, sometimes you can't start there, but you can build up to it. you got to be flexible. Family, if you are married and if you have kids, you you cannot wake up tomorrow morning, leave the house, and put a note that says, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm doing what Pastor Fred said last night. If If you're married... You've got, you got to figure it out together. If you've got kids, you got to figure it out together. It gets a little bit more complicated, but that was always part of God's plan. It's okay. You'll figure it out. We figured it out as a family. Our life is complicated. Our children grew up in a home where the routine of a weekly Sabbath was commonplace. You, you, if your kids are little, listen to me, you have a chance to give them something so that when they step into adulthood that it's not disruptive, it's all they've ever known. It's all they've ever known. Number six, others. Learn from people. There are people in this church that practice a weekly Sabbath. There there are people in this church that one of the reasons why they practice it is because they heard about weekly Sabbath in teaching like this. We've been teaching this in this church ever since we came in October of 2007. You can learn from the people around you. Learn from their mistakes. Learn from their struggles. Learn from their creativity. Number seven, grace. You've got to give yourself grace. Going back to this idea, you, if, if, if you are a busy, busy, busy active person, you, you're, you're going to experience withdrawal, real, real withdrawal. You're going, to, you're going to feel sadness. So for some of you, you're going to experience symptoms of depression because you, your brain has found this connection with activity and dopamine levels that you're, you're addicted to it. And it takes time for your body to learn new levels with those chemicals. It's real. Vanessa and I experienced it. We're, you know, you, you know us. We're like, we're drivers. When we first started doing this, we were like, <laughs> I hate this, right?" We were frustrated. We were irritable. more irritable. We're always irritable a little bit. She's not in here. I'm irritable, not Vanessa. Just edit the edit the, edit the recording there. You, 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 I'm just saying you should. You, it will catch you off guard. You gotta be. You gotta be gracious. You you gotta. You've gotta let your body readjust to a new rhythm. And the last one is this: is you've gotta rest. Now you might say, "Well, Fred, that's that sounds silly." No, no. The ultimate measure as to whether or not you did a good job with your Sabbath is the next day that you wake up, do you feel refreshed and rejuvenated? The best measure is whether or not you did a good job with Sabbath. Again, it's not going to happen right away. you got to let the routine establish. Is, is, is Do you feel rested? Do you, does your physical body and your emotional well-being, do you feel refreshed and rejuvenated? Rest is not just through sedentary living. It can be through activity. And you're going to find that if you are a family, different people rest in different ways. I, on the scale of active resting versus sedentary, I'm a way over here in the sedentary. I can just sit and do nothing the whole day. I'm like, I, my, I just need to do nothing. Thank you, Jamal. Vanessa's over here. Right, She's, So we've had to find, we've we found this rhythm with us in life, this dance of, of having a balance between do, doing activities and, and, and being sedentary. You, 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 you've got to work it out as a family. But at the end of the day, the big question is, are you rested? And if you're not, then you've got to keep tweaking it and finding something that works for you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Stand with me for a minute. Father, I pray for the people that are in this room and the people that are at home. And, and this entire sermon feels like a complete and total disruption. They're, just, they're stressed out thinking about it. I, I, I pray, Father, that whatever needs to be dismantled in their life, so that weekly Sabbath can become a part of their flow, can be can, can, can become become a part of their rhythm. That there's this there's, there's just gonna be a a stillness that you're gonna give them in their heart, that you're gonna help them figure it out. If, if, it, if it feels like that the idea of a weekly Sabbath is 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 just gonna add stress and and Instead of taking stress away, I I pray, Father, that you would help them get a vision for the end result. That the journey there might be hard, but give them a vision for the prize that waits for them. Father, we know from the story of creation there was a blessing that you put on the seventh day. There was a blessing that you spoke over the Sabbath. And I pray that something inside of us would always be drawn to every space and every place where you say that there is a blessing waiting for us. I pray that something in our hearts would be, be drawn to the spaces and the places where you say a blessing is waiting for us. Help us to learn to be still Help us to learn to take deep breaths. Help us to learn to embrace calm. Help us, Lord, to value comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. Help us, Lord. Help us to treasure a day free from compulsion. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.